you uh, follow along, did you pay close attention to what's going on in this passage? Now, before the feast of the Passover, now this is the last Passover of Jesus' time with the disciples. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? This is the word of God for the people of God. God. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. Many people have said that To change the world, you have to change yourself first. I might agree with that. But before we can change ourselves, we have to realize that God has to do the changing for any permanent change inside of us to occur. Because we can self-will and willpower things as much as we want. But without Jesus, we run out of gas. The Holy Spirit is eternal gas. It does the work through us and in us. And I'm thankful for that. This morning we're going to go back in time, as we did last week, and will again next week, to the time where Jesus' last night with the disciples on earth occurs. It's during the time of Passover preparation. In Luke 22, we see that he sends two disciples ahead. You can find that in verses 7 through 13. And they're going to go prepare this meal. This night changed history. At this point in time, only Jesus knows the significance of it. He has gained legendary levels of fame already. There's teachings, his healings, feedings, raising the dead. All these things have created a great following. So people are flocking to him wherever he goes. He's legendary. Nobody has done what he's done or said what he said or taught like he taught. And although he has gained literally legendary status among people, if you want he'll go to him. You want to hear about God? Go to him. This is the one. There is no other. He, he could be the Messiah. And although that was happening, he had done nothing to that point that out, would outlive his earthly life. Nothing. All the miracles and teachings would fade in time so that he was just a teacher who wielded great power, did miracles, and many other good things. But those miracles would all end with those they affected. And the teachings might have been kept around and history might have recorded his work as a good man. 
But nothing significant would remain to call him great. Why? Fame is temporary. It's not permanent. We see this story played out about his fame during Holy Week. Marching in, if you will, with the disciples sitting on a donkey. People praising him, shouting, and they're all excited about who he is. And four days later, they're turning on him. This great legendary man, and yet within four short days, he's no longer receiving favored status. Even his disciples will leave him on this night. They will abandon him. Oh, the great one, but not great enough to stay. But had this day not occurred, had this night not transpired, Jesus would be just a good man who did good things. But we know there's more to the story, don't we? His level of love is unprecedented in history. But how is he going to show this kind of love to his disciples in a way they would understand? What could he do that would cement his deep love for them? What could he do that would change their mind about what love is really all about? Even if they didn't understand it at the time. Jesus had a plan. He had to set it in motion. Things had to be done quickly. They had to be done secretly. Otherwise they would be foiled. And that night was critical. The disciples that he had sent ahead of him didn't know where they were going to go to eat the meal. Neither did the other disciples. Nobody knew where the meal was going to be had because it had to be done in secret because they were wanted. Clues and codes written in Scripture tell us how this place was found if we're willing to look for them. We'll learn next week how this was arranged. It's a story, as I said earlier, you don't want to miss. But all the items for Passover had to be at the place for preparation. But there was another part needed, something that generally doesn't happen in a Passover meal. Not now, and usually not then. Jesus needed to have a bowl or a basin. He needed water, a source of water, and he needed a towel. These aren't major items. We go, well, we got that. Let me look in the cabinets like that. But it wasn't like that then. Cabinets didn't exist. Those aren't, you know, something you go, why is this so important to have in our house? They aren't major, but they had to be there for this night. They were important. And had any of those three things been missing, any of the three, one of Jesus' greatest acts of love would never have occurred. What is that act? Well, we learned through the earlier sermons in this year about water. Its significance for purification is unquestioned. It was used for washing, bathing, cleansing, 
They used it to wash sacrifices in the temple. They had basins and places of baths outside the temple. You had to wash them before you could even go in. All these things are clearly a part of the history. Not a question. Water was important. That's why the flood was a huge story. It was a washing. Baptism. A washing. And one of the uses for water back then was to wash hands before a meal. Had to have clean hands. Another was to wash dirty feet from sandals that they wore. The sandals were removed upon entering the home. The reason being is the dirt on the bottom of them would track through the house if you didn't take them off. So they'd take them off and then enter. Sandals back then, and you can imagine sandals today, aren't much different. Straps may be a little different. No Velcro stuff or metal, but leather. They had open toes and straps. And they caused dirt from their journeys to collect on the exposed parts of the feet. And more than likely, settling on the bottom of their feet as well. Because it was kind of dusty in a dry desert area. Probably sand as well. And that dirt on the bottom of the feet would also be tracked into the house if feet weren't washed. Wealthier families had servants to do the job of washing people's feet after they took their shoes off upon stepping in. And those servants would wait at the door to clean feet. This was considered a menial entry level job. It means it was the lowest job a servant would have. It could be a male, it could be a female, but it was a servant. It could even be done by the homeowner had they chose to do so. But it was considered by many to be beneath, to be beneath their social status and they wouldn't do it. If you look in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is going to a Pharisee's house and a woman kisses his feet, anoints his feet with oil and washes her, his feet with her tears. Jesus explains to the man named Simon, Simon, you did not wash my feet when I entered your house. As the homeowner, he did not wash. It means he could have. You did not greet me with a holy kiss. You did not anoint me with oil as you would for a respected guest. You did none of this, but this woman did your job. What was expected and socially acceptable. She did that because she loves me. And that's what he was saying. And that's a picture of what's going on is a foot is clean. Both of them are clean so that the dirt isn't tracked in and they can go about the house. It, it was another way to say, if I cleaned your feet, you can go anywhere in the house you want. But if I do not clean your feet, you need to stay near the entry. You're not welcome deeper in. We don't want you tracking through our house. That's the significant way of saying you're either going to be welcome here or you're not by how they treated your feet. If they were welcomed deeper to the house, they were considered as socially equal. In some instances, those who entered would wash their own feet. But this was considered to shame the homeowner. So they didn't do it very often. What they would do, though, is invariably take off their shoes. 
didn't matter whose home it was, they would take their shoes off at the entrance and then enter the home. What happened with the feet being washed or not was up to that homeowner and people present. This is what the disciples did that night when they arrived where they were going to have the meal in the upper room. They took their shoes off and entered and went in to where the meal would be prepared. It says in John 13, verse 1, as Jesus is getting ready to wash their feet, that the meal is over. And it says here that He loved them to the end. He's already instituted Holy Communion. That's all been done. But this, loving them to the end, in verse 1, I can put it back on the screen for you so you can see it. The last verse there. He loved them to the end. And it's talking about this foot washing. It's a strange phrasing to me. When I read that, I tried a long time to figure out, what's that mean, loved him to the end of what? End of who? End of how? End of his life? What, what are they talking about here? Well, let's look at that word translated as end. It's the Greek word telos or telios. It's very similar to the word Tetelestai, which you may have heard, is the last word Jesus spoke on the cross, which means it is finished. The work is done. This word telos or telios, though, means complete or mature or perfect. It's used in phrases like be telios as I am telios, be mature, complete or perfect. Some people use the word holy in its place. In other words, Jesus was showing the disciples by loving them to the end, what perfect, complete, and mature love looks like. And he was going to show them by what he was about to do. Now this doesn't refer to the cross. Please understand that that is the greatest act of love. But this in Scripture is the second greatest act of love. For his disciples, the greatest. The cross was for us all. But for his disciples, this, washing their feet, was the greatest showing of his love. And we go, but all these things washing feet. Because we don't know what it means to them. What it tells them. And why is it significant? Well, it's best understood by what Jesus did not say or do in that moment. And I'm going to scroll this down to verse 6 so you see what was being said to him. In our lives, when things are needed done or things are out of sorts in people's lives, we often hear people criticize rather than help resolve or lend a hand. We see the broken and downtrodden often as ignorant or else they, you know, they might be different types of people if they weren't that way. It's easy to judge and be critical of what we don't understand. A homeless person can be dismissed as irrelevant or as an unproductive part of society. They don't work, they're just begging, and they got nothing to contribute. This generalization destroys rather than heals. Now, how would I know that? Did you know I was homeless at one time? Did I tell you that? I think I might have. But I was treated with respect 
in kindness, not with disdain. At that point in my life, I saw myself as real relevant and unproductive, but nobody else I encountered saw me that way. That helped me change my attitude about me. A harsh word or disdainful look or attitude toward me from another person may have sent me careening deeper into the hole that I was in. I may have felt confirmed in my opinion of myself and said, what's the matter what I do? What's the matter with me? My life doesn't matter. But thankfully, a United Methodist man was the man who saw me first. A United Methodist. He had compassion on me and helped me. That has never been lost on me. In Luke chapter 7, as I mentioned, the owner of the home did not wash Jesus' feet. He didn't anoint him with oil or greet him with a holy kiss. These things were expected of a welcomed guest, but they weren't given. Jesus said to him, you didn't do this, but this woman who you call an unworthy, unclean sinner did. Hmm. The owner looked down on people like that. He raised himself above washing feet in his own mind. That would have been humiliating and would have lowered his social status to that of the lowest servant's job, entry-level position, like mailroom clerk in a you know big office building. The worst job you could have. He could not see himself disgracing or humiliating or humbling himself that way in front of all those people. He was, after all, a Pharisee who knew better than to do that. Not Jesus. He took the towel. He took the water. He took the lowest servant job as Messiah. He didn't ask. Why didn't anybody else do this? He didn't ask why they hadn't washed their own feet. He didn't judge them for having dirty feet in the house. He saw a need and he respected it. He respected the need by saying, I'm going to do something about it and met it without concern of his own social status. He laid aside his garment, which signified royalty or leader. He laid his outer garment down and said, I am a common servant. He laid aside all his claim to being something in their eyes, to become nothing in their eyes. He laid aside all he was. And he laid it all aside. So he could love. This is mature, perfect, and complete love in this picture. He met a need with, without regard to his own social status or his self. Or anybody's opinion about him. This kind of love changes the world. 
It was shocking to the disciples. Look what Peter says. Lord, are you? you? Lord, Lord, you still took your garment off, but you're still Lord. You're still my master. You? You? Not you. Not you. It's what he's saying. No, you will not wash my feet. even says, you will never wash my feet. This is not a statement of surprise. It's you must not do this. Do not shame yourself like this. I'm not worthy for you to do this to me. Don't do this. Do not love me like that. Because this doesn't look like love to me. It looks like you're humiliating yourself and washing my feet. And no, I'm not going to have you do that. You're my master. Even says a verse or two later, you will never, never wash my feet. I will never let you do that to yourself. Not at my expense. That's what he says. Peter couldn't contain his surprise or his embarrassment for Jesus. <laughs> we miss this tone, don't we? Lord, you? You? You're Lord. You don't do this. It's wrong. Peter didn't understand this act of love at the time. He saw the outward act of humiliation that Jesus is taking. He could not see love there. What about you? Do you see Jesus loving them there? Or the opportunities in your life where love is needed and you just don't know that it's really love needed there? Do you see those things? Why is this love? Jesus tells them a little later, but let me clue you in. Their feet are dirty. And they're not welcome in the house with dirty feet. Jesus says you're going to be welcome everywhere here because you have social equal status with us all. I'm bringing you up from where you are to one with us. I'm going to wash your feet. You're welcome anywhere in this house. And he's not talking about that house. As we see later, his words tell us that I've already made you clean for the father's house. But I just have to wash your feet so you remember that you're welcome everywhere. Powerful statement, isn't it? We can't love like Jesus does. We cannot. Not without Him in us. Not without the Holy Spirit within. Alive, if in us, and running the show. Because there will be no permanent, lasting change around us without humbling ourselves to the world's standards, which raises us to God's. Do you understand? Jesus said, if you want to be a leader, you have to serve. And so he let go of all his title to serve. That love act that he did by washing their feet says we're equal. Why? Because the Messiah washed their feet to raise them up to his level. That's what he did. He said, we're one. That's the kind of love that he had for them. That's the story that this tells us that we don't see in Peter's words there. 
You can't do this. You can't do this. And Jesus said, if if I don't do this, you don't have a part with me. If I don't do this, you're not part of who I am. Now you understand why he said that a little later in this chapter. And my prayer for us today is that we would know Jesus like that. That we would know him in such a way as to understand that he loves us enough to see us as we are without judgment or complaint. Meet us there and say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to let you know you're welcome here and to love you like that. Tell me you see a lot of that in this world by people who don't know God. I think it's the other way around, isn't it? Nobody's willing to humble themselves to love without God in them. But when we humble ourselves like that with God in us, that life will change. Our world will change. And that will be a legendary impact. This, I think, is the call to us to respect the need. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, sometimes we see through our own eyes and our filters can't see what's there. But this morning I'm asking you to help us to let that go, to drop those things that are present, that don't allow your Holy Spirit to love through us. Lord, that we might find opportunity yet again this day and this week to see you love through us. Lord, that we might give you the glory. Because as, as you so clearly state, humbling ourselves by the world's standards raises us to yours. And thank you for that. May that not be lost on us today. Amen. I like what Jesus says a little later in this chapter. Toward the end of it, he says, after he washed their feet, he says, I want you to love others like I've done. If I've done it for you, do it for somebody else. And the only way you can love like Jesus does is if you receive his. If you can't receive his, it's hard to love like that because you don't have it. But this morning, if you've been resistant to loving like he loves, to say, Lord, Indwell me, quicken my heart, quicken my spirit, that I might love like you and be filled with all that you are. I want all of you and less of me. And I think that's a prayer he will answer. As we stand to sing our closing hymn. Stand to sing number 130, let's sing the first and the last place.